0: We just come before you, Lord, and Lord, we just, uh, we ask that your spirit just dwell amongst us this moment, Lord. Lord, I pray that you just, your word go forth, Lord, and minister to our hearts, Lord, and I pray that, Lord, you just uh, soften our hearts, Lord, if there's any hardness, Lord, that you just create in us, Lord, a new heart, a heart of flesh, that we may be able to receive your word, Father. Lord, we love you, we honor you, and we ask that you just go before us today. In your precious name amen if you have your Bibles Ephesians chapter 6 Ephesians chapter 6 we're going to start in verse 10 all the way through to the end verse 24 Uh, I remember coming back to the ministry actually coming back to the church when I gave my life back to the Lord and uh, I started just attending church and it was you know as a new believer I expected like well I'm gonna come back to a lot of happy people you know we're all happy here at the church we're all happy Christians right and uh, I, I, you know, and as soon as I started becoming involved, as soon as I started uh, just really being used by the Lord and then, and then finally he opened the door to, uh, into the ministry for me, uh, I have never seen so much anguish, so much sad, sometimes like just grief and, and, and pain and suffering in my life. I've never experienced so much death. Why is that? That is because as Christians, we're going to experience warfare, and that's what this chapter is about. And you know, we're all very familiar with the armor of God, right? We were all really familiar with Ephesians chapter six, but you know, unless you know how to apply the the, the armor, unless you know how to put on this armor, it's just symbolism, and and a, a Christian symbolism that we use. Hey, I'm armored up, man. Like you know, I've, I got the armor of God on. Like it, it's that's not what it is. And, and we need to know how to apply this armor. We need to know how to put on this armor. And, and if you notice when the warfare, when you use the name of Jesus to somebody that you know either doesn't know the Lord or isn't saved, when you use the name of Jesus, when you see that person cringe, and it's crazy if you use Buddha or if you use Krishna or if you use any other name that is supposedly a god, People are so accepting of it. But why is it that Jesus, when you use the name Jesus, everybody is standoffish? This morning, um, I was talking to Wade, and we're having a, a, a new, we're, we're getting our AC repaired. And this guy comes in that's repairing the AC. Super nice guy, really nice. And Wade says he starts sharing with him. And immediately when he asks him, hey, like, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus? Are you saved? He's like, whoa, like, immediately he's like, yeah, I'm a Catholic. And it's like, no, but are you saved? Are you a Christian? And he immediately just shut down because he used Jesus. So notice the warfare. that, Like, go, go anywhere, anywhere, and, and just mention someone. Jesus loves you. Just feel the, see how they act. And that's the warfare that we're in. That's a battle that we're in. So we have come to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 24. This is the third structure of Paul's book in in the book of Ephesians. As you remember, I continue to repeat this because it's so important. There's three structures in this book. We've seen from chapters 1 through 3, we've seen the doctrine. It's so important that we know our doctrine and then we went into um, uh, our doctrine learning our spiritual wealth. And then going into chapters 4 through 5, we learned our application. Because you can't apply what you don't know. So you need to learn the doctrine. And then we do the application. And the application, when you begin to apply, you begin to win your warfare. You begin to win your battles. And now we're, we're in chapter 6 where we're going to see our spiritual warfare. We're going to see this battle that we're in. And again, notice the, the three structures and notice why Paul gives us this because if you know your spiritual wealth in Christ and you live, you live out this spiritual walk in, in you, you begin to stand against the enemy, you begin to fight, you begin to win these battles that we're in. So let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Um, so we face a very powerful enemy as we know. Satan is very powerful. He is very, I don't want to give him too much credit, but he's powerful. He is clever and, and, and he's, he, he's a spiritual being. He's a spiritual enemy. And he, it, it looks like he's omnipresent, but he's not. He can't, he's not God. He's a created being. And he can't be in more than one place at one time. And it looks like he is. We're all being attacked. That's because he has an army. Of demons and it's true it's devil and his demons a third of heaven fell a third of heaven rebelled against god and fell and so he has this army that he sends his troops out to attack every single person that comes to the lord and begins to do a work for god first peter tells us be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion Seeking whom he may devour, that is his goal. Seeking whom he may devour in this very room. He is looking to whom, what life, what spirit he can destroy, what soul he can bring damnation on. He's looking for that. Warren Worsby quoted that the Christian life is a battleground it's not a playground. And I I spoke to uh, our Devo this morning in leadership. The Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground. And when I minister, I I, I oversee the the new believers also. And, And when I minister to new believers, when Raul does an altar call, they come, you know, those double door rooms, we bring them back, we minister to them, we give them a Bible. And so many times you just want, like I start off with, yeah, like your name's been written in the, in, the, in the book of life and that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. Yes, that is true. But the most important part that I want them to understand, that I want them to know, is that they have a target on their back now. As all of us do when we came to the Lord, you have a target and it's so important for them to know this because so many belie- new believers, they're gonna fail in their young Christian walk. So many of them do. And it is because this warfare that they begin to experience, it comes as a shock to them. And they don't, they don't realize that the Christian life is, is a battleground. Like, when I, like the, when I told you, when I started coming back and I gave my life back to the Lord, I expected to see a lot of oh, fun, happy people that wasn't the case we're the church is known as a as a hospital we're known as a hospital because people are hurting there's a warfare it's real when you become a christian or even begin to do a work for god it, you feel it instantly sometimes i felt it instantly when i when uh um, wade asked me to take over the pursuit for him i felt i was So much doubt flooded my mind. And I'm going to explain more. But why do you think that is? Well, this I'll tell you this. This is actually a good sign. If you feel the warfare, it's a good sign because uh, Spurgeon said that uh, Satan never kicks a dead horse. And and therefore, it's the lack of warfare in your life that I would be concerned about. If you don't feel... You know, because uh, as, as we are in this battle, if you don't feel it, you don't feel the attacks because we have an enemy. Satan doesn't mess with someone. As, uh, remember, Paul mentioned in chapter 2, verse 1, you're probably dead in trespasses. Or as he mentioned in chapter 5, verse 14, you're probably a sleeping Christian. Satan doesn't mess with you. He doesn't mess with with, with someone who, is little by little backsliding backsliding. And the fact is that if you are feeling these attacks it's because you are in God's perfect will for your life. And and I remember a story that I don't know if you guys know Danny Bond but I was in one of his classes and he said he tested it. He 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 gave his life to the Lord, he began to be used by the Lord, he got into the ministry. Felt the warfare, and then he told God, You know what, God? I'm going to walk a life of lukewarm. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, be a lukewarm Christian. I'm going to be living in the world, but I'm going I'm to know you. I'm going to know who you are. I, yes, I believe in you, but I'm going to walk as a lukewarm Christian. And he said instantly, The warfare went away. For a whole year, it went away. Felt no attacks. And you know, sometimes you might ask, why does God allow Satan? Why does He allow him to tempt us? Why does He allow this? And if God, you know, for me personally, like when I when I study, and you begin to define God in His Word, if God is God, I, I'm always asking, Lord, why can't You just get rid of evil? Why can't You just get rid of it right now? Well, let's go back to the very beginning when. Um, in in the beginning in the garden, when Adam and when Eve was tempted and Adam was tempted and they fell, why didn't God just stop Satan? Why didn't he just stop him right there in in the tracks, right there and then, before they fell? Because it would have prevented a lot of pain. As you see, as, as you know, it would have prevented a lot of pain. So let me tell you why. Because God would be an unfair God if he gave us free choice, with no choice. Free will comes with a choice. So what choice did Adam and Eve have when Satan tempted them? They had the choice, you know, if it, they had the choice whether to obey or not to obey. And if, if God spoke to them and they heard no other option but God's option, what point will, would free will be? What point would... Uh, uh, Um, free choice be. God doesn't want robots. He has to give us a choice. He doesn't want a robot. If he had no choice, you'd you'd have no choice but to love him, right? That's not what God wants. True love, real love, is a choice. You choose to love the Lord. You choose to love righteousness. You choose to love holiness. Therefore, God gave them his choice and allowed Satan to give them his choice what did they choose? Because of their free will, they chose to listen and obey Satan instead of God. They obeyed the serpent. Resulting in what? In separation. God is holy. He cannot allow sin. Period. So he had to separate them from himself. They were separated from God and the curse and and the curse of humanity began because they chose satan they chose to obey him and ever since then guys there's been a war we are experiencing this war ever since then however one day this war is going to end the bible tells us so we have hope that this war one day will end when every single person on this planet hears about Jesus, and are all given the same opportunity that Adam and Eve was given. Because notice, you have that same choice today. You have that same opportunity to obey or not to obey. Therefore, due to our obedience, because we chose to obey, we are sitting in this room as Christians, and, 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 and we, chose, we chose Christ, we chose Jesus, Because of that, and because Satan doesn't allow free will, because Satan does not play fair, we're going to experience these attacks. And so if you are going to win this battle, guys, you have to know your enemy. And you have to possess this power and this equipment that is needed to protect yourself against him. And Paul here in this chapter will show us what we need to wear in order to win this battle. And we're gonna see an armor that God has provided, this armor that God has given to us so that we can have victory, because there is victory. And I'm gonna remind you uh, before we start, um, when Paul started in chapters one through three, uh, he, spoke, he gave us our doctrine, and I, and I keep bringing this up because I'm thinking as I'm reading this chapter 6, as I'm reading the, the armor of God, I, I constantly think of, oh, Paul mentioned this. This is why Paul gave us this. No wonder Paul told us this. When he, when he, when he, mentioned, uh, when he tol- told us about the riches we have in Christ, the word riches, I remember, if you remember the definition I gave you, this word Paul suggests that we lack nothing. Because we have the riches of Christ, therefore we lack nothing and there is nothing more that we need. Because why? The riches, he's given us the riches of of his glory. He's given us the riches and we have and we lack nothing. The point I'm trying to make is God's given us everything we need to stand strong in this warfare. He's given us everything. He hasn't left you. and he, hasn't, he didn't call you into whatever ministry you're in. He didn't call you to this life of, of a Christian to just let you fend for yourself. So many Christians feel that way. And again, that's the enemy. He did not call you to this life as a, of a Christian for you to just fend for yourself. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of all this pain and suffering, we do find a life full of joy. Not happiness. Don't search for happiness because happiness is temporary and that's what the world offers. Oh man, I was so happy when I was in the world. But it never lasted. Joy is eternal because that is from the Lord and he gives us joy and we can find this life. So the message here is to stand in warfare, First, we see Paul give us our preparation. And Paul here is preparing us, verses 10 through 12. Let's read verse 10. Finally, my brethren, notice right here. Finally, my brethren, notice what, when Paul comes to the end of this letter. And in this letter, Paul, he has established our place in Christ. And he's given us the basics on, our, on the Christian walk. And for Paul here to write finally, here he means that he is speaking in light of all he has previously said in the past, uh, starting from chapter 1. He is speaking in light of all that God has done for you. He is speaking in the light of the riches you have in Christ. He is speaking in the light of the glorious standing that you have as a child of God in the light of the conduct that God has called every believer, this life that we need to live, in the light of being spirit-led, being filled by the Holy Spirit, and in the light of all this as Christians, we have a battle to fight. Verse 10 again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Literally, Paul is telling us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. I believe that Paul took this idea from 1 Samuel chapter 30, David in his distress and the battle that he was facing, it said, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now let's take David as an example. David was a man of war. He was a warrior. And not only was he in top physical shape, but he was in top spiritual shape. He was, what does the Bible say? He was a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect. He murdered. He committed adultery. He failed. Many times he doubted God and the promise. It took 15 years for him to become. God gave him the promise. 15 years later, it took him for him to, to become king and for God's promise to be fulfilled. And it wasn't because he was perfect that he was, told that he was a man after God's own heart is because he consistently pressed on as a warrior. He, consi- he, never, he never backed down. He never retreated as a warrior. He consistently continued to search God, a man after God's own heart. He was in top spiritual shape. And therefore, in any battle that he had, physical or spiritual, he found victory and strength in the Lord. And so how can we be spiritually strong? So if you remember Paul's prayer in chapter 3, verse 16, to the Ephesians, he prayed, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might, notice, through his spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man. See, part of our riches in Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Bible calls it a dunamis power, meaning dynamite. It is, if you've ever seen dynamite go off, it is power. They use dynamite to move mountains. And, and the, the Bible refers to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as dunamis. And it is only through the Holy Spirit that we're going to find our strength. Remember that, keep that in mind. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice Paul here in this verse, he emphasizes on the whole armor of God. You must put on the whole armor of God if you are going to defeat Satan. Not just some of the armor. Not just the helmet. Not just the, the, the shield. You have to put on the whole armor of God. If you are going to have victory and if you think you have any chance against Satan without it, you are sadly mistaken. It is the area that you leave unguarded the most that Satan will attack. That will be the very place that Satan will attack and I've experienced it in my own life. So I had to delete all my social media because I left that part of my heart unguarded. I left my mind unguarded. So I had to remove it, because I knew that where the attacks were coming from. There's a story of Sir Philip Sidney. On October 17, 1586, Sir Philip Sidney was killed at the Battle of Zutphen, because he was not wearing his full armor. He noticed that his brother was not wearing his leg armor So Sidney removed his. He then was struck in the leg and died from the wound. True story. In the leg and died from the wound. And it is only with the whole armor of God that you're going to be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. Standing against the wiles of the devil, this means you're standing against the schemes and the strategies of Satan. There's an incredible book by Warren Worsby, it's called The Strategies of Satan. I recommend it. The strategies of Satan, Satan's schemes against us will come to nothing when we, we, we begin to stand in in the power of God, and when we begin to when we have the full armor of God on, and you understand it, and it is, and you are armored up. I'm going to use the phrase. You will have victory. Verse twelve. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice what this means. Our enemies are spiritual enemies. Our enemies are not human. Sounds like a sci-fi movie, but it's real. Our enemies are not human. They are spiritual, and the fact is that we're not battling against flesh and blood. And it's funny how this is forgotten by so many Christians. You are not battling against flesh and blood. And Christians will put their efforts in in the direction of flesh and blood. That's not our battle. Don't waste your energy towards anything that has to do with flesh and blood. Our enemy is not each other. So many Christians think of other Christians because they're being used more by the Lord that. You know, they, they feel like they're enemies. They're, and then division happens. We are not the enemy. The real enemy is spiritual. We are to be united, as Paul spoke about, having unity, walking in unity. But the idea that Paul is mentioning here is the same idea that he gave the church of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 4, he says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in god for pulling down strongholds notice our weapons of warfare they're not again they're not flesh and blood they're not carnal our weapons are mighty in god in christ for for pulling down strongholds i like the way the niv translates it it says for though we live in the world We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we've seen our preparation. Now we're going to see our protection, our armor. Verses 13 through 17. Verse 13. Therefore, again, because of what we just heard, therefore... Take up the whole armor of God. Here we see it again. The whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul emphasizes again on the whole armor of God. Because why? Our enemy is strong. And the main purpose of this armor, it says to be able to withstand. Because again, without the strength of God and every part of his armor, it's impossible, you will fail without this armor, it's impossible to stand against the attacks of Satan. And there's a reason God gives us this armor. Notice that word stand. I love word studies. When you define a word in its original form, we've seen it in verse 11 and we continue to see it throughout this text, so it stood out to me. This word is defined in the Greek as to set oneself against, to resist, to withstand. So when we do a work for the Lord, when you accept Christ in your life, we stand against every bit, every hint of spiritual opposition. And the fact is that Satan will do everything he can to stop this work with attacks of, what do we know? Attacks of intimidation, Whatever you've experienced, he begins to attack. He will use fear. He's going to use threats. He's going to use doubts, discouragement, and even self-pity. He will use that. And the word stand here, it indicates so many things. And yes, it it means we will be attacked. But it also means we must not be afraid. It means we must not frown about it. Don't get all slouchy about it. Don't be uncertain. Don't have a half-hearted attitude towards this fight as a Christian. It means that you are under God's protection. And therefore, you will not even think about retreating. I retreated once. I gave my life to the Lord at 18, and I retreated because I didn't understand i didn't read the word of god because i didn't pray so again put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand so what is the armor of god it's simply living what we have learned knowing the truth and doing the truth being doers of god's word And it is putting our position in Christ to practice. As we are in Christ, that position is riches as you are in Christ. So put that to practice. So first we come to the belt of truth. Verse 14, again, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. In battle, the belt was used for holding a soldier's tunic in place so the enemy couldn't grab loose clothing and gain advantage. It kept the soldier's garment in place so that, that he would be able to fight effectively. And this, this brought to mind, I used to do Taekwondo. And when we put on our, um, our uniform and we go into battle, we go into these tournaments, we'd have to wear our belts. Our belts would keep our clothes together so when we're fighting, we can fight more effectively or else our clothes just come apart. The enemy uses that, as you've seen in in jujitsu. They use the clothing sometimes to bring someone into submission. So the belt, who is our belt of truth? Who is it that holds us together? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the what? The truth and the life. He said, you shall know the truth and what? The truth shall set you free. And Jesus prayed, he prayed for us. He said, sanctify them by your truth for your word is truth. Remember I spoke about Jesus is the very embodiment of truth. He is the truth. Therefore, Jesus is our belt of truth. And spiritually, this means that we must live a life of integrity And truthfulness our belt of truth remember when Paul talked about our new man in chapter 4 verse 15 Uh, chapter 4 verse 25 excuse me he said what is the first thing he told us as a new man the first thing he said that we should do is put away lying as a new man As a new Christian, put away lying. Notice what he was doing. He was preparing us for battle. Put away lying, truthfulness. Put on the belt of truth. You know the truth. Now we must do the truth. Second, we see the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14 again, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. In battle, what does the breastplate do? It protects all our vital organs. What does it protect? The heart. The breastplate of righteousness. In battle, it was used to protect the vital organs, especially your heart. And therefore, since the soldier cannot effectively fight without his breastplate, you wouldn't dare see a soldier out in battle without his breastplate. Never Anywhere you go, I'll reference the gladiator. Always had his breastplate on, always, and it was super cool. (sighs) Never go into battle without your breastplate of righteousness because we cannot fight against our spiritual enemies in what? In our own righteousness. Why? What does God say about our righteousness? He says our righteousness is like filthy rags. So you cannot fight the enemy with filthy rags. That is your righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness because why? In Revelations 12.10, the Bible calls Satan what? The, The accuser of the brethren. Satan is constantly accusing you. If you notice in Job, the first couple chapters, he has access to the throne of God. If you think that Satan is in hell right now, you're wrong. His destination is the lake of fire. But that hasn't come yet. Satan has access to the throne of God and he's up there accusing you of everything that you're doing wrong. He is condemning you. He's he's bringing condemnation. Keep that word in mind, condemnation. And uh, he's trying to m- discourage you, and he goes to God, look, he lusted, but you have on your breast righteousness. This doesn't mean go and lust. This doesn't mean go in sin. No, it means that you have on the righteousness of Christ. Notice what Revelations 12, 10 through 11 also says. It says, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they us the saints overcame him by the blood of the lamb the righteousness of Christ whose righteousness second corinthians 5:21 tells us for he made him who knew no sin To be what? Sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And therefore, Jesus is our breastplate of righteousness. Don't go into battle without this breastplate. So spiritually, we fight knowing that we are covered in Christ's righteousness. You're going into this battle knowing that you are righteous. Not because of yourself. Notice why Paul uh, talks about grace in chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is not our righteousness. This is the doctrine of justification. God, Jesus, traded places with you. He became sin, who knew no sin, to give you his righteousness, he who was perfect and righteous. Now that is yours, your breastplate of righteousness. Third, we see the boots of peace. Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In battle, what what do the boots do? The boots were made of what? Heavy leather. They were made with, with protective metal plates. And they had these nails on the soles. If you've seen a, uh, Paul's referencing the Roman armor because he was in Rome when he was writing this. And a lot of times Paul referenced and wrote in his letters what he saw around him. So he's referencing a Roman armor. And on the bottom of his boots, he saw nails. And this would protect them from sharp spikes that were hidden in the grass and would give them a firm footing Firm footing in hand-to-hand combat. They were able to stand their ground, and therefore a soldier could not fight effectively without this firm footing. And without this footing, on the foundation of gospel of peace, we will stumble and you will fall. You need to have on the boots of peace. And Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have peace with God as a Christian. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians 4.7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, one of my favorite verses, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Notice again, referencing the armor, guarding your hearts, guarding your mind through Christ Jesus. And again, we see Jesus is what? Our boots of peace. And we find our footing in him we find, what does he say? That, that, that he is our firm foundation. And we find our footing in him. And so spiritually, how do we fight? We fight knowing that we have peace with God even when we mess up and do not understand. When you fail, as David, a warrior, a spiritual warrior failed, he pressed on. And he understood that he had peace with God of course, through repentance. Hence why Paul mentioned in chapter 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the, the middle wall of separation. I remember when I first gave my life back to the Lord, I felt the peace of God in my life. And I knew that very moment that when, when I gave my life back to the Lord, I knew that I was ready to, for battle. I knew it because I had had peace with God and I knew that God was now for me. Another great verse, if God is for you, who can be against you? You have peace with God. When you have peace with God, God is for you. He is no longer against you. Fourth, we see the shield of faith. Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Be sure you do not forget your shield. In battle, I'm sure we're all very familiar, familiar with the shield and what the shield was used for and the reasons for it. Soldiers would hide behind these large rectangle shields, and what would they do? They would protect themselves. You see it in the SWAT. You see it today. People use shields to protect themselves. But they would also, back in the day, they would coat the front of the shield with wet leather. Why? Because they would fi- fire arrows, fiery arrows at them. So this wet leather that they would coat in front of the shield, it would, it would uh, extinguish and it would, it would put out the fiery arrows. The shield and the fiery darts of the wicked one. This spiritually speaks of the persistent efforts of Satan's demonic uh, helpers and, and what are they t- constantly trying to do? They're constantly trying to weaken us. Through what? Through fear, through unbelief. The shield is gonna quench those darts. It's gonna quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we all experience this, and, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but it will not stop until the return of our Lord, until we come into the presence of our Lord. It will not stop, but who cares? If he is for us, who can be against us? Bring on the battle. Put on this armor. Notice also what this, this, this shield actually did. They would link these shields together in what was called a phalanx and this strategy created a wall in front and it created a wall above them to protect them and hold the line as they move forward in battle have you seen the movie 300 i love the scene when the spartans came together and linked up their shields and the first attack was what thousands against 300 and what did they do they pressed forward because their shields were linked together. We need to link our shields together. Unity. You press forward, and they had victory in that scene. So this shield is our faith. And what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1. I gave it to you in the New Living Translation. I love the way it's translated. It says, Faith is the confidence that we hope for Excuse me, faith is the confidence that we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. And how do we get this faith? Well, Romans 10 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and what hearing? By the word of God. What does Jesus say about his word? John 5 24. Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word, notice, and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That is his word. And we clearly see that the shield that guarantees the quenching of the fiery darts of the enemy is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. So spiritually, how do we fight? We fight by believing and trusting Jesus to protect us in all that we do. You trust. You have faith in him. Next time you experience any discouraging thoughts, discouraging feelings, or discouraging imaginations, next time you experience even fear, look to Christ, read his word, and believe him. That's it. Believe him. Trust Him. Have faith. Number five, we see the helmet of salvation. In verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. In battle again, the helmet was made of metal and it would protect the soldiers from being bashed in by, by a sword or any kind of weapon that is used against them. It would protect their head. So therefore, as soldiers, we would be foolish to go into battle without a helmet. No soldier would dare go into battle without his helmet. Why? Because our head is an essential part of our body, right? Why? Because it houses our mind. Our head houses our minds, and Satan loves to attack the mind. He loves attacking the mind. That's the first place he goes as a Christian, giving you doubt, giving you fear. That's not of the Lord, that is of Satan. I'll use another really cool illustration. If you've seen X-Men, what did uh, uh, uh Magneto he put on a helmet to prevent who hoof- reading his mind? Uh, Professor Xavier, remember that scene? Right? <laughs> okay. Well, let me explain. So he put on this helmet to protect Professor Xavier from reading his mind. And we need to put on this helmet to prevent Satan from putting these discouraging thoughts in your mind. Because why? Fear is not of the Lord. If you feel fear, that's not of God. Understand that. I was afraid to take over this ministry. And then, and then I just knew that wasn't of God. I was like, Lord, you've called me here. Okay, where you call, you provide. Where we, where, where, where you, whatever you want me to do, I believe you're going to equip me. And the same goes for you, for you guys. So in our battles, we, m- we need to protect our minds with the helmet of salvation. And this helmet protects us against what? Condemning thoughts. Against the desire to give up, it protects you against hopelessness. And what does the Bible say about our salvation? Psalms 3:8: salvation belongs to the Lord." Psalm 62:1, "My soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense." I shall not be greatly moved. Psalm 62.1. Write that one down. Isaiah 45.22. Look to me and be saved. Simple. Look unto me, look unto Christ, and be ye saved. And again, Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because why? He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one will go to the Father except through him. No other God. In Acts 4.12, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In the scripture, what does it clearly teach us? That salvation is Jesus is in you by faith. And so spiritually, we fight knowing and being fully assured of your salvation as Christians. You're fully assured as Christians that you are saved. And next time you feel any condemnation, remember that's not of God. When you feel as you are a Christian and you are abiding in Christ, and you feel condemnation, what does Romans 8.1 say? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Our phrase, this whole book, in Christ. Paul mentions it numerous of t- times. In Christ Jesus. And last but not least, we see the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17 again, "And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In battle, yes, the soldier is protected by his armor, but what good is this armor without his weapon? The sword is the only way for a soldier to what? To win the battle. He doesn't go into battle trying to win it with his armor. Every part of the armor is important, but you cannot win a battle with any piece missing. You go in and you wear your armor for protection, but you have your sword to fight. If you've read the book of Nehemiah, that's a great book to read about warfare. I go through that book and I I underline in red, I underline the attacks of the enemy as they come. And then I begin to underline in green, the response of Nehemiah. And he said, that's fine. We'll fight. One hand, one hand we'll carry a sword. And in the other hand, we'll work. We're going to continue the work of God. But he had, they have their sword ready to go. To fight in case the enemy comes and attacks. The sword of the spirit. And we can plainly see what our sword is. What our weapon is here. It is the word of God that Bible that you have in your hands this is your sword the word of God and notice who gives you this sword what does it say and the sword of the Spirit therefore the Spirit of God provides this sword and you have it again the Word of God the Holy Spirit provided this And to effectively use this, you have to regard it as the infallible Word of God. It has to be regarded as the perfect Word of God. And if we are not confident in this divine inspiration, if you are not confident that this scripture was given to us by the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to use it effectively if you don't have that confidence. And guess who's going to try to remove that confidence? The enemy. There's no way Noah built a huge ark, and then all of a sudden two of every animal went into it. There's no way. One little bit of doubt. This is the infallible word of God. Either you believe the whole thing, or you don't. Jesus says, either you are for me, or you are against me. There is no in-between. And what does Jesus say the mission of the Holy Spirit is? He says it is to exalt him. The mission of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Christ. Therefore, what does the Spirit say about who the Word is? John 1, 1-4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men jesus is the word and the holy spirit exalts the word of god our sword that is provided for us therefore who is our sword jesus christ and jesus gave us the perfect example on how to defeat satan if you've read uh, uh, through Matthew chapter 4. He gave us the perfect example on how to defeat Satan with his word. If you've read that chapter, what was his main defense and his main response to Satan every time? It is written. It is written. Three times he said that to Satan. Satan attacked him emotionally, he attacked him physically, and he attacked him spiritually. Three times. And every time he responded, if you read every single response uh, that Jesus gave, it is written, it is written, it is written. So spiritually, we fight by knowing and using the word of God. Next time Satan tells you, God doesn't love you. Next time you hear that, next time you feel that, God doesn't love you. Something goes wrong in your life. Satan is right there telling you, God has abandoned you. He has left you. God doesn't love you. The minute something goes wrong, what comes to your mind? God, why have you forsaken me? Next time you hear that, you'll say, it is written. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it is written. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Or it is written also in Ephesians 5:2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and he gave himself for us. I like this one. Satan, it is written in Romans 8:38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ our Lord. Satan, you are a created being. Satan tells me, God doesn't love you. Satan, you are a created being, a being and you will not separate me from the love of God. You won't. Next time he tells you God has forsaken you, it is written in Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Satan, it is written. At the end of it all, what is putting on your armor, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? Notice next, how do we put on the armor? All of this just becomes some Christian symbolism, as I've mentioned in the beginning, unless you know how to properly use it, unless you know how to properly pu- put it on. And we've learned how to use it, but how do we put it on? Notice verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and for all the saints. We put on the armor by the means of prayer, and we pray by the means of the Holy Spirit. Prayer. The idea here is pray with all kinds of prayer, prayer on top of prayer. Pray even when you're done praying, pray some more. And I'll admit, it is hard to pray. It is hard because why? We do not naturally draw near to God. Our flesh, we are in this body of destruction. And while we are here, we do not naturally draw near to God, so we don't naturally draw near to prayer. And we know the Scripture calls for it, tells us all the time, but we often fail to pray. What is an excuse? Oh, I don't have time to pray. I'm so busy doing my own thing, Lord. I'm sorry, I'll get to it when I can. Um... Trying to think of this quote. I forgot who said this, but he said, The busier you get, the more you pray. When you become busier, you pray more. Pray on top of prayer, prayer upon prayer. And when you are done praying, pray some more. Why we should pray without ceasing? What did Paul tell us? He said, pray without ceasing. And Paul again also said, laboring in prayer. What does this mean? It's hard to pray. Laboring in prayer. But it is, it is as vital as you need air. It is as important as you need to breathe. Prayer. The warrior is to pray always with all prayer and supplication, supplication in the Spirit. In verse 19 through 20, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, meaning after all the spiritual talk, Paul was asking his readers to pray for him, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Notice Paul, out of all things he could have asked for, what did he pray for? He asked for his, that his readers would pray for him to receive boldness to continue to preach the gospel. Instead of asking what most of us usually ask for, what do we usually ask for? Relief from pain and suffering because he was in prison when he wrote this instead of praying, Lord, free me from this prison, Lord, free me from this pain, this suffering, Paul desired strength and boldness to press on with his calling. Paul's heart and mind were fixed on his responsibilities as an ambassador to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 21 through 22, in closing. Oh, um, excuse me, got a few more verses, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Notice the partnership with with um uh, Tychicus, here we see uh, that Paul seemed to have a messenger with him uh, to deliver this, um, uh, this uh, uh, epistle. So, as he mentioned, the, this, this Tychicus guy is mentioned in Acts 24, Colossians 4.7. He's mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.12 and Titus 3.12. And Paul wanted uh, Tychicus to comfort the Ephesians about Paul's condition. He wanted him to uh, tell him that he's doing fine, his condition, uh, and yes, he's in prison, but that he was doing okay. He wanted them to see that. And notice Paul's final words, verse 23 through 24. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Paul ended the letter just as he began it grace and peace. When we begin our Christian walk, we start with grace and peace. And when we end it, we go into the peace of God and the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the message. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for our lives, Lord, for giving your life for us, Jesus. We thank you for this armor, Lord, that you've given us. Lord, what you've taught us today. I pray that you give us the strength, Lord, and the vigilance and the awareness to, Lord, consistently seek you, Lord, and to put on this full armor, Lord. Give us the strength, Lord, that we need to fight this battle. Have sympathy on us, Lord. You know it's hard as you've you've experienced, Lord. Give us the strength, Lord. Give us your Holy Spirit Go before us now, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Awesome. Let's all stand for the last song.